We're on a worldwide search to see what inclusive education looks like. So Blackboard Ally is going on tour for 2019, visiting campuses around the globe to learn how they're tackling their toughest accessibility challenges and improving the learning experience for all their students. And welcome back to another episode of the Blackboard Ally Tour podcast series. After about a four-hour drive down Highway 55 from the College of DuPage, we have arrived at Southern Illinois University Edwardsville, just outside of St. Louis, and we're here with the team recording our seventh and final episode of the 2019 Allied Tour. It's been amazing to connect with campuses all over the world, and we're sad to be wrapping things up here for 2019, but we're very excited to be here on the campus at SIUE where diversity and inclusion, key pillars to their institutional mission. We spent the morning watching the line at the Starbucks grow with students. We set up camp there, demoing alternative formats on a big touch screen with the team. It was really cool to see students getting excited about having options to engage with their learning materials, seeing the enthusiasm that the team demonstrated in connecting with those students. And so now we're going to sit down and hear a little bit more about their journey with Ally, how they're thinking about accessibility, what's going on on the campus to support their diverse students. So let's hear from the team. So welcome everybody to another episode from the Ally Tour podcast series. I'm here at Southern Illinois University Edwardsville with the Information Technology Services team. I'm going to let the team introduce themselves, but we've had a great day so far. We were promoting alternative formats to students at the MUC, giving out swag and discovering a lot of students were aware of the alternative formats icon and we're clicking that and we're excited to see that they could get their content in different formats. So I'm going to let the team who's been supporting the rollout here on campus introduce themselves, starting on my left. Uh, Jody Nair, instructional designer with the SAUE School of Nursing. Emily Keener, Instructional Designer. Jennifer Albert, Instructional Designer. Laura Million, Instructional Designer. Nikki Glick, uh, Application Support Trainer. Jonathan Coons, Instructional Designer. Uh, Meshmets, Employees, Fine Fellows. <laughs> All right, so we've got a big team that's doing some great work. And so first, you know, just kind of looking back maybe historically, I mean, how has, how has the university kind of thought about accessibility? What have been some of the processes for supporting uh, students with disabilities on campus? It's changed a lot in the last couple of years. Um, earlier you spoke with Dominic Dorsey, who's the director of our access unit, and they, that unit has transformed over the last three, four years. And they're much more proactive reaching out to students to help them in any kind of situation they find themselves in with test taking or in class accommodations, anything like that. So it really is different now on campus than it was back in the day, than it was just a few years ago, as recently as that. And tools like Ally have really been a help to our group, I think, to kind of get involved in that initiative or to those actions or whatever. And, and what's, what's been the kind of the motivator behind that, that kind of refreshing? I know they underwent like a whole name change, right? And so what's, what's been kind of motivating this move to a more inclusive kind of culture? Well, the office had a staff change. I think that's where the name change came from. But also there are more institutional goals around inclusiveness and, and diversity. And I think that has something to do with it. And as far as web accessibility, I mean, that's maybe a, 
a newer priority in the past several years, um, just as we use more technology at the university and use it to support our students. I think before maybe um, phys our physical spaces were more of a priority, and they still are now, obviously, but web accessibility is definitely coming to the forefront. And course design accessibility has always obviously been a concern for us and something that we want to educate faculty on. Um, and it's just not always been at the forefront of faculty thoughts and Ally has definitely helped us start that conversation with faculty and help us um, educate them on what accessibility means and doing universal design for learning workshops. I think too that uh, individuals have played a real role in helping push Ally and encourage more people to um, utilize access. For example, Emily is uh, the Access Employee of the Month, and Jennifer is the SIUE Employee of the Month, and they've made, um, they've helped make SIUE have large strides in improving those services. That's a good point, the UDL workshop that you did, and pointed at Emily, mm -hmm. um, actually did open up a lot of eyes in terms of you know, accessibility for faculty and not really thinking about it in terms, just as like, it's just closed captioning. It's not things just like that. So that has really helped the whole conversation with faculty on campus for course design conversations. And I think like pinpointing faculty who are already doing this good work and know a lot about maybe, you know, for example, we have a faculty member over in Applied Communication Studies who uh, his research is in accessibility and learning and communication. And so just identifying those people, once we have a workshop like that, they come to it, they're already passionate about it, now we know them, now they know each other, and then we kind of use that to you know, help, help each other kind of spread the word, and that way it's not just one person's research or one person in an office caring about something, we're all kind of uh, starting to talk about it together. Yeah, that's definitely something I hear a lot, that kind of communities of practice approach, really allowing kind of champions to emerge and influence others and train others and things like that. It seems like it's such an important process of that culture shift. So you kind of talked about this kind of shift towards a more digital deliveries, kind of using the LMS. So you're all working with a variety of instructors. You know, what are some of the kind of challenges that you see? For example, you're working in the nursing department, right? So when you think about accessibility in that context, what are some of the barriers, some of the challenges that you see in, in kind of course design in that space? Well, that was one of the initial conversations we had was the general thought of, oh, well, school of nursing students have to meet so many specific physical requirements. So accessibility isn't necessarily the highest priority all the time, but there have been some students who have registered with access and now are requesting accommodation, and it's making the whole school start to think maybe need to be more proactive, as Matt was saying, instead of just reactive because it is a lot of work to be a reactive process for increasing accessibility. And so working with um, nursing instructors to talk about things like, it's not necessarily physical concerns, but even just accommodating our working nursing students. They need more flexibility in the way content is delivered so that they can access the information when they need it, where they are, whether that's you know on their break in the hospital break room or wherever. So being able to say, well, this will help your students if they have to you know sit in a busy break room on their phone trying to study, here are some ally alternative downloads is a good resource for them in order to have some flexibility there. Anybody else who's kind of working with different types of faculty, different disciplines, what you're seeing as far as kind of, you know, how are the courses here? Are we looking kind of fully online? Is there hybrid? Is it kind of face-to-face -face where they're using the Blackboard LMS is kind of a file repository. What do you see across the board? Yes. All across All the board. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think one overall trend is 
the use of scanned PDFs. I think that's maybe an overall trend in higher education, and maybe it's a residual of the paper document coming <laughs> online, but it's a big problem. And I think that's across the board is the use of scanned PDFs and then our, and then our work of not always doing remediation, but sort of doing the education to, to explain other options and other ways around it. And, and I think Ally does a good job of providing guidance on that, you know, that faculty can work through on their own, but we can also use as an opportunity to work with our librarians and other people in the university to find some alternatives. But yeah, scanned PDF, if you had to find one thing that was like a all, uh, like all inclusive issue, it's that. <laughs> I think. <laughs> I mean, Laura, Laura's worked with those in uh, uh, just in a uh, program design and has had to right. deal with There's nothing the you can do things. about it. And if you go back, because in time, instructor had an article from 1987. And so I went back to see if there was a digital copy of that. And the digital copy was what he had was a scanned version because 1987, they weren't making digital copies. And so that's going to be an issue as faculty want to go back to older, uh, especially for research, go back to older things. They're only going to find digital or uh, scanned copies. So that's just something we'll have to, we'll have to work with. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's why library staff sometimes includes somebody who digitizes those old materials. I mean, this is the way I think of it. Here's the utopia I envision. It's one day there will be no need for a scanned PDF, and they'll all be digitized and properly tagged. But until that day, that's the problem. Well, and educating, too, because for the longest time, the course reserves up in the library were just all scanned, and they were scanned digitally. And so when, when we, oh, several years ago, we were trying to figure out how to do a search on these forms that they scanned only to realize that then they're not OCR. And so it was kind of like, well, yeah, here's all your documents, but you're just going to have to do an old-fashioned manual search because we can't, it wasn't scanned properly. So hopefully that's starting to change. And Jody's right, too. It's not just isolated to the School of Nursing. It used to be like meet students where they are, but help them study where they are, too. So like the fact that like, oh, you, the LMS works on your mobile device. You're totally fine. doesn't take into account the fact that you're in a busy break room and you may need to actually read the class note before the lecture you watch later on when you're on your second break. Mm -hmm. So it is more, well, it's helped us, I think, to try to teach faculty to be more student-focused in their decisions, what they do. And again, allies help with that, you know, several times. I think that in the student, we talk about being student-focused a lot, and I think um, the big part of it is not, not, you know, maybe they are highly student-focused, but they might not know what situation the student's in in every moment, you know? I think you gotta have that empathy and be like, where are, and just ask, like, where are you reading these materials or what? <laughs> and I think that the ally reporting helps to see what they're downloading, but maybe even just asking what, how do you norm? When do you study? What do you how, What do you do when you study? Mm -hmm. How do you look? Because it's changing and it will continue to change. And Laura and I were surprised to find we did an online retention workshop, and um, our average age of online students, I think, within the past two years, mm -hmm. was twenty five. So you know, it's not your typical straight out of high school students that we're serving. So it's probably people who are juggling families mm -hmm. and jobs, mm -hmm. and it's our job to remind faculty mm -hmm. who their students are and why we're doing this. Yes. Is that kind of a general trend that the kind of demographic changing over time? Who's taking courses here and and their particular kinds of needs? Yes, no, maybe so. Yeah, hard it's, to say. It's hard to say. Well, it's hard to say now because online in the past was very much uh, one and done kind of thing. So you may have Art 111 be online during the summer semester, but generally they're going to offer Art 111 online in the fall or spring semester. And now there are entire programs that are exclusively on. Well, RNBS in the School of Nursing, for example, they saw the benefit of having online as the medium 
and they actually stopped their face-to-face program in favor of the online program. So it's it's hard to say if it changed historically. I mean, it has, but to say like what evidence there is, yeah, it's hard to say right now because we've gone, like I said, to such a one-off approach to now like whole entire programs are either being launched online or moving from face-to-face to online. And as far as our demographics go, I'm, I'm sure we could track the student age average over time just from looking at the data we have on, on student. I don't know that off the top of my head, but... Sounds good. But I'm sure we probably could. I wonder if it's um, worth it. Yeah, and I wonder if pe- I wonder if people are uh, sort of. I don't want to say aging. That's not the right. <laughs> are yeah, they like are coming yeah. back for continuing yeah. education later? Sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we have Each more of those students. Yeah. You know. Well, we also have higher level programs. The doctoral that's program, true. The that's School true. of Nursing. I mean, the MBA just went online. The School of Business. So that's also why it's hard to say too, because we are offering more graduate and professional programs Correct. so yeah, they would naturally yeah they would naturally be drawing those students but yeah so probably the demographics changing because of that too mm-hmm. I mean, there's probably a lot of factors yeah but in, in that too even within every class it's not necessarily a specific program like in our nbs you have students who just finished their um, associate's degree and are immediately ready to go on for their bs through our program but you also have practicing nurses who have been RNs for 20 years and are now coming back and you have those same students in the, within the class. So your class has to be flexible within every section to meet the needs of a, you know, a 20 year age gap of students. So the audience is huge. And it would seem that with a lot of these online only courses or online only programs that, you know, when students are actually in face-to-face classes, they can kind of come up to the instructor and say, hey, these are these are the things I kind of need. With online only, and especially if the, like the MBA courses are only seven weeks long, they have to be ready to jump right in. And so we need to anticipate the needs of our students and what they're going to be able to serve their needs and meet their needs for completing the program successfully. Because that's really the bottom line is we need to make sure our students are getting what they need and be able to be successful in whatever they're coming to SAUE for. Yeah, that's definitely something that I've heard in my conversations with other universities too, is that, you know, students that aren't on campus taking face-to-face courses they may be less, even less likely to disclose that they have something. They may be less likely to receive the supports that you would get. And so taking that more proactive approach to you know, designing inclusive experiences can be really so important for those online uh, learners. So where, how, how did Ally kind of enter into the picture? Where did you all kind of discover it? What kind of motivated you to bring it to campus here? Where did we discover it? On, I think on the access, on the Educause access list. I think when we first saw it. And we saw it within our, like, early, early spring. Yeah, we were, well, we, okay, it all started. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it all started once upon a time. We were looking at captioning. Yes. Mm-hmm. It all started captioning. We had, we, we saw that we had this sort of hole in our support around captioning. And it was one of those, like, whose job is it to caption? Who's doing the captioning? And it was like, well, we're not, and you should be, so hope you are. Like, here's a vendor. Good luck. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't sufficient, and we knew that. So we were like, okay, let's try to deal with, let's try to rethink captioning and, and like, the budgeting for it. And uh, we just started out looking at, like, just different accessibility tools. And, and I know that Ally wasn't an answer to captioning, but it was, like, a part of a package because we are like, okay, we found a solution to captioning, a couple of different solutions that would work depending on what faculty needed to do. And then, then we are like, oh, there's still a gap in how we handle documents. And so... Ally was one piece of that, and just awareness. So, how can we help faculty with you know make their documents more accessible, and also just understand why they'd want to and 
give some support around that and just to complement the uh, workshops and the communication that we've been doing. So yeah, it started with captioning and it went on to Ally and, and beyond. Open the floodgates. Yeah. <laughs> it almost was, honestly. Like, it was a question we didn't know we were asking. We were like, oh, we need captioning solved. And it was like, it was solved. And we're like, oh. There's other parts of this stuff. <laughs> and we still hadn't thought about that before, really. And maybe that's too simplistic to say captioning is solved. It's not it's solved. solved. No. I mean, but we definitely met the beast face to face. And we were like, all right, captioning, we're going to do this. And so I think we definitely addressed like the glaring problems with not having a specific process for captioning. And so that happened and that was good. But yeah, Ally came, came out of that search. Yeah. So you do an ally, you've got captioning services, any other tools in your ecosystem currently that you're using to support accessibility, inclusive design? We just adopted Textma 3 Lay, which mm -hmm. also includes captioning. So, and that's on every video that's ever created by the university. So students, faculty, staff, whomever mm -hmm. can generate <clears throat> captions on their videos. Yeah. As a good starting point, some auto captioning there. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And then we, um, I mean, I think you could, I don't know if you add this to the list, but we have, obviously there's the built-in wizards, you know, that check for accessibility in all of our document software. And, and then we have the Adobe product that allows us to do some additional work with remediation. Although, you know, we try our best to just create a good document ahead of that. But I think those, and then, I don't know, Access might also have some, um, I mean, they are they are able mm -hmm. to digitize materials, paper materials, and things like that. I I would say that's a part of the. What even software landscape. do you even think is technically accessibility software like Ally specifically? Like the nursing, you know, they have no students need accommodations until all of a sudden there was a student in a totally online program having to do a capstone, and then like actually give feedback to other people doing capstones, and she's like, I can't hear, you know, and I need to see you solid on the screen to read your lips the whole time. And just playing content too, they couldn't do that. So just using other tools inside of things we already have. So we basically use Zoom, and she was fine with that. And it was okay to say we have to have a kind of a split screen experience. But we kind of like basically tricked another tool into operating in a way that the student was able to be fully part of the class, fully part of the discussion. Everything was great, and basically it was nice because it was the UDL concept that she brought the other students to her level. And so no one like you couldn't like do anything. You had to chat. Everything had to be done via chat. And when you spoke, you had to actually speak. If you're showing your content, you had to pause, show the content, and come back so like lip reading could be done by her. Mm -hmm. And she she said it was it worked pretty well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're actually she was really happy. Yeah, multiple means of engagement exactly. there and expression is really bringing everyone to the same level. And yes, exactly. the, the faculty who was in that section said she has never had such quality discussion after every student's presentation as she did when she said this is chat only. Mm. Wow. When they had to speak into the mic, everybody was like, nope, no questions. I but agree. once it was open on the chat. Man, they went to town. She said they just, I mean, they talked for like 10 minutes between each talk and chat. So they might have even just shifted how they do their capstone, how they even teach That them. instructor was kind of planning to, yeah. to just give that as an option. Amazing. Do we want to be a chat group or do we want to be a, an audio group? See, and I think that's what UDL is really all about is you're, you're trying to shift how you do your teaching or how you design your experience so that it's better for everybody. And that's what happened there. It's mm -hmm. great. Yeah. It makes those online courses more like those face-to-face -face courses where you actually have those real organic interactions between the students who are in the course and the and the instructor so that they're not missing out on that part of the learning experience. I mean, too often, I think having just online only courses, it takes some real effort to make those connections and to build the social side of the classroom. And so I think when we have those accessibility features available in there, 
that sort of bring down all the barriers, it's like you were saying, it's, it helps everyone. It helps the learning environment, making it richer and, and more beneficial. So you have some of these nice aha moments with faculty. I know I was talking to Mark earlier and he was talking about how, you know, he started seeing the connection between accessibility and usability and coming from web design and things like that and the importance there and making it part of your process. Um, but then I imagine you also have some, some moans and groans from faculty about kind of why are you making me do this? And so, you know, so first maybe going back to when you kind of turned on those indicators in the courses, were phones going off? <laughs> were, was there riots? in the streets what was the response there well, it seems like I mean, we've always been reactive to things like this we had we've always had to wait until somebody's needed as you found out we don't have any visually impaired people here and suddenly if we get a visually impaired people everybody's got to react to it and so now they've got the ability to be proactive and a lot of them are like that means i've got to re you know spend hours redoing this because we don't have anybody needs it it's like well we've been trying to explain since the beginning start small you know, do a little bit here, a little, but from this point on, make sure that everything becomes accessible. Yeah, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but from what I remember, the indicators got turned on, mm -hmm. and we used that as an opportunity to say, are you curious what these red things are? Mm -hmm. Come on in, we'll tell you. Yeah. And it kind of yeah. gave us we'll an opportunity. Yeah, to... it was like a marketing spin. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you're right. And Jennifer had it phrased it like, are you seeing red? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Don't turn those red indicators green. It was a marketing mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. What a great way to flip it. And actually, I think we had fewer calls on it than I anticipated. Not to yes. say we didn't have very many. We mm -hmm. did, but I thought it was going to be, oh boy, here we go. And it, it, I don't re think it really was. No, so the initial ones were like, can I turn this off? That was the yeah. main one. Mm -hmm. No. So, yeah. I can't turn it off. How do I fix it? We right. built yeah. that into our knowledge base. Like, mm -hmm. a, a search engine, a key, key phrase, I guess, was, uh, well, can I turn these off? Can I turn these off? Like, like, what are they? Can I turn them off? And, and so, yeah, if you're searching that in our knowledge base, you're going to find, like, well, here's what they are. No, you can't. No, you can't. And this is why you don't want to. Yeah, this is why this is really what they're there to help you do and, and really they turn it back to like, here's what's providing your students mm -hmm. and here's what, how we can help you turn them green. Yeah, I think that went a lot more smoothly than I anticipated. Well, they're not wrong. The marketing behind it was genius. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was Jennifer's idea to kind of play on faculties, not insecurities, but insecurities, let's just say that. <laughs> no one will hear this, it's fine. <laughs> but basically, like, how do you want to improve your student experience? You know, oh, do you want to have all these right indicators? Do you realize that they can't do X, Y, and Z? And so it was really kind of playing to their, their ability to want to do better for their students. Yeah. And a lot of them reacted very positively, which is yeah. fantastic. I'll tell you one gripe. You can edit this out if you want. <laughs> <laughs> I got it just recently, and I was very surprised by it because I was like, I kind of understand what you're saying. Uh, one of our biology or no chemistry professor, he was concerned about the alternative formats translating his handwritten notes. So he makes some handwritten notes. Now we had some we had some workarounds for this, but he makes some handwritten notes and he scans them. And he's like, there's no way. And so they're all formulas. He's like, there's no way it can it can pick up on my handwritten notes. And I was like, okay, valid concern. Well, what other ways can we get? So we talked about other ways we could make the notes. Is there any, can you do it on a video? Can we caption it? Can we do this? Yeah, I could, but I just like to just, you know, get these out kind of quickly. And this has been my, you know, this has been my uh, process for 20 years. And I was like, well, I don't think it's going to translate your handwritten notes. I don't think you're, that we can OCR your, trans, your handwritten notes. And so let's talk about some other ways to do it. So that's kind of where we left it. But I thought I hadn't even anticipated somebody doing that. 
Oh yeah, and it definitely comes up. Math math instructors are notorious for doing a lot of handwriting stuff because kind of equation editors can be a little bit clumsy, and so mm-hmm. you do you do see a lot of math in in handwriting. And there there is some software out there that is designed to translate handwritten equations into text. Um, just like any kind of automated conversion stuff, it can depend on how clear that mm-hmm. chicken scratch is mm-hmm. and how legible it is and things like that. But it's definitely an area of kind of concern and, and focus for some of this technology stuff mm-hmm. is is situations like that. And, and there are lots of those complex situations, right? I mean, Angie, we were talking earlier about some of the business school stuff. I mean, do you want to point to some of those challenges that you see in the content in, in the business school? Oh, yeah. Um, well, and actually, I had a, a conversation with one of the CMIS instructors, and he was saying, well, why is there seriously going to be somebody who's going to go into this type of field who can't, who is like visually impaired? Why are we doing this? And, and I said, well, one, it's the law, two, and, you know, we need to meet our students' needs overall, regardless of who they are. And, you know, some of the things that had to do with the graphics, the diagrams that were on there, and a lot of what's in the CMIS presentations were screenshots of different, you know, work tables and things like that. And so a lot of that came to be a challenge of trying to like, what kind of alt text do I need to go into with this? And and how do we, how do we make this meaningful? Can't just check on every one of them, mark as decoration, you know, (laughs) it's obviously not, it's, it's serious content. And um, so that was one of the challenges I found specifically in that area. Yeah. Along the same lines, a challenge I had with a CMIS instructor yesterday is that she gets a lot of her PowerPoints from the publishers, and they're not making their materials as accessible as they should. Because you put a PowerPoint up there, and it's bright red, and you know, and if you try to go through it, you have everything from images, little bars in the background as part of the design that are coming up without all text. And I think I had over three hundred on a PowerPoint that only had like thirty slides on it, and because it was all that in the background, that was the problem. And um, you know, it's like. Faculty don't have time to to deal with and that. They shouldn't be. I mean, that's a that's a spot where you have the power. I mm-hmm. think as the faculty member, as a department, as an institution, no, thank you. We yeah. don't want your material if you cannot comply right. with these standards. And, and it amazes me that they don't. And even some of the um, professional, like Wall Street Journal, uh, Harvard Business right. Review, they're not tagging their um, their PDF files. And you know, they're yeah. not. They're and not they won't until somebody until starts somebody yelling about it. I think that's yeah. what you have to do. And power the people empower your faculty empower yourself i mean don't don't stand for that that's not okay there you go well i had one instructor who was sharing documents for a capstone course and really they were articles from harvard school Mm -hmm. school business and then they had some for the the economist and um, new york times those and he's like well i subscribe to these so Mm -hmm. i'm just putting them up there so we started having conversations about not only accessibility but copyright and fair use so i connected with uh, the library the research librarian Mm -hmm. and so not only are we taking care of the accessibility we're also taking care of being compliant with our fair use and, and copyright yeah you know, it takes guidelines. a village i think it takes a village yeah. to raise up yeah. accessibility well and the, and the instructor didn't know what he didn't know yeah, right. yeah. I mean, and i had an instructor tell me you know i know my content but i never did any courses on how to you know the pedagogy side of that so mm-hmm. those kinds of things are really where we're here to yeah, help, here help to, with those exactly. things. exactly that's, that's what we're here for yeah 
And what about on the flip side of it, the, this kind of student-facing part of it, the alternative formats? Um, what, what have you kind of seen? Have you gotten any feedback from students about using those formats? What do you see kind of from an instructional designer perspective, the value of those alternative formats? They don't let us talk to the students. <laughs> no, from those reports, though, I was so surprised to see how few people were downloading the MP3 versions of a text. Mm -hmm. I thought for sure that would be that would be the the number one downloaded, mm -hmm. but it was. Oh, let's see if I can remember. I uh, missed part of our session yeah. today. Was, was it the OCR PDF? Tag PDF. Yeah, and that's what it was the first during our first review too. Yeah. And I was surprised by that. But I guess that makes sense. They're probably getting it down for their uh, maybe some mobile viewing or something like that. Well, and sometimes they go through and they're like the first thing on the list. They click on that. Mm -hmm. They're not necessarily going all the way to the bottom and going, oh look, I have this. Especially mm -hmm. if they're looking on a mobile device and they have to scroll a little bit to mm -hmm. get to see that. Mm -hmm. But I know the response for some of the students today, just finding out about it, they were really excited mm -hmm. about this. They yeah. were, they thought, you know, first they're like, no, no, don't. I'm like, no, really, you got to see this. This yeah. is how, this is a great study yeah. opportunity and mm -hmm. you can, you can listen to it while you're reading it and everything. So you've got two modalities of having this information coming in and then you can do it all at your own pace and you don't have to sit here and try to, you know, do it all at one, eat the elephant all at one time. You can, you can eat it one bite at a time. Well, we, we had talked to a student at the beginning of the semester when we had a booth at for Welcome Week, and she was excited because she's dyslexic. And she was really excited about being able to have a print version and an audio version so she can listen and read at the same time. And same thing with um, the students where English is their second language, is that if they don't read as well as they hear, they can hear it at the same time. So we've had a few students interested in both because of it. It's not a learning disability necessarily it is you know just just the way things are and that's helping those students I think once they learn and they know what the mm -hmm. product is really all mm -hmm. about I think they're just too afraid to click that little a after their documents I don't know what they think is gonna happen <laughs> I think more people are clicking that than maybe mm -hmm. we assume too just by looking at the reporting and also when we talked to them at uh, the last event it uh, oh yeah yeah I've seen that I had so many students mm -hmm. tell me like yeah I've seen that or I know what that is, and I was mm -hmm. surprised because I thought it would be us just um, promoting it and, and letting them know that it exists. And like, oh, but yeah, mm -hmm. I think more people are probably clicking it than than we give them credit for. I mean, yeah, you could look at the at the re the data review mm -hmm. and see that they are. I think the exciting thing is about like today's experience of being able to share it with a few people. We may not have been able to reach, you know more than half of our or even a, you know we may, we reached a small chunk of them mm -hmm. but they're going to tell the other friends that they are in yeah. classes with like hey mm -hmm. did you see this this mm -hmm. is really cool and yeah. and it may not even necessarily be something they use but they may know somebody who needs it mm -hmm. that it would serve their their mm -hmm. learning needs and um so or you stumble upon it in your final semester and you're like oh exactly where have you been on this <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, we hope to not to. We hope that they don't fall into that sad position, but they might. That would have been me for sure. <laughs> and so, what's next then on kind of your journey towards more inclusive uh, culture here at SIUE? You know, are you continuing to do more workshops? Is it you know, are you kind of helping support some of the remediation of content? How is the team starting to think kind of about this work moving forward with Ally and the other tools? in your ecosystem to support this? I think definitely more uh, propping up our faculty, you know, and supporting them. And then, so how do you kind of follow the guidance that we already have 
from Ally and other wizards and doing more with universal design for learning, doing more workshops around that, incorporating that into our course design mm -hmm. uh, materials and marketing, marketing, marketing. Mm -hmm. exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but opportunities like, like to... Diversity Day, you know, yes. where we can partner with other people on campus because accessibility is about diversity and things like that. And I just like to go back to like, you know, here's how you make your, it's the beginning of the semester, reminder, here's how you make your syllabus accessible. Okay, now move on. You have some articles, you know, this is options for that. And just kind of doing those pieces. Love alt text April. I'm so excited. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the biggest note on my notes today was like, alt text April, do it. Yes. Yeah. As soon as I heard it, I looked over at Jennifer, and sure enough, she's writing it down. <laughs> and like I think you said partnering, sorry, with um, like student success, you know, maybe our, um, Student Success Center and offices over there and partnering with them. That was a new thing. Like, oh, yeah. We can also, do, we can also sure. do No Red November. Oh. <laughs> Next year. <laughs> we've got three weeks. Yeah, yeah, we can pull that together. Three and a half weeks. Come on. Yeah. I think we're in a cool position too in our department because we get, it's sometimes easier to start to push things like this when something is new and we work with new programs and new courses that have not been taught here before and we get to touch new faculty with orientation and so hitting the new people hitting the new programs hitting the new courses so that it's just there it becomes part of what you do and part mm -hmm. of your practice as opposed to like oh take this course that you've been working on and you've taught it seven times and now we're going to go through this with a fine-tooth comb and help you fix all the issues we have to do that as well but it can also it can kind of um, trickle up from the new stuff too it's all education honestly it's marketing it's workshops it's supporting faculty and students it's changing the way you do everything just educating people and continuing to do so yeah and partnering with the student success center that's a great thing and just finding partners across campus because mm -hmm. when we first started talking about this we felt like we were on our own doing this which felt weird that our office was should be like the torchbearer mm -hmm. and so it was very nice to like partner with dominic and other offices you know we knew they had a similar interest and they want to improve things on campus, so I think we're we still have ways to go, but we're mm -hmm. we're much further than we were. Oh, the more you talk to people, the more you see how similar your interests are, and your you know obviously we're all here for students. So mm -hmm. the more you talk with them, the more you see how you can align your work and your passions and get stuff done. Mm -hmm. I feel like I have a unique opportunity as the new kid on the block and being dedicated just for the school of business and that the the mm -hmm. MBA courses that are rolling out that are having to shift from being like eight week courses down to seven week courses. They're having to really sort of go through those courses and rebuild them and so I get to have a lot of those interactions with the instructors they're like oh we find we finally have our own instructional designer that's just for the school of business they're excited about having that and so I get to have the opportunity of working with them a little more closely and just sort of looking over their stuff and like introduce myself and so that's a great opportunity to say oh did you notice this and I'm I'm just trying to get to know the courses and not in a confrontational way or anything or being like um, trying to spy on them but I'm just like hey I'm just trying to get acquainted with everybody and everybody's courses and I just saw these things and let's how about let's take a look at this yeah that definitely is something that I hear a lot is these opportunities for refresh you know it's always it's going to be hard to dig your teeth into all the old courses and the old mm -hmm. content, but anytime there's opportunity to revamp that one PowerPoint slide that's mm -hmm. looking a little dusty, right, and make accessibility part of that, I think seems to be a, a key 
kind of way to keep moving forward, right? That seems to be the theme is to kind of just keep taking those steps forward. So as far as the UDL workshops that you've been running, what have those been? Are those kind of focused very kind of broadly on course design experiences? And what's kind of the meat of that that workshop? Yeah, they need to be refined because before they're kind of too big. There's just too much to talk about. And when you talk about all the principles together, just to give people an overview of like, well, here's what we're aiming for. And here's like an example and an example and an example. There's never enough time. And so I hope that this semester uh, we can work to just break those down, maybe principle by principle and make it a little more active where we say, all right, you know, here's what we're aiming for. Here's one way you can do it in your class. Let's pull down your syllabus and work through one element of your course to incorporate some of these strategies. Yeah. Um, so that, yeah, that's the, we've taken a really broad look at universal design and it ends up being more of a seminar and I think it needs to be broken down and really get workshoppy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we partner with our faculty development center on, on that. Cool. All right. Well, thanks everybody for joining us on the Allied Tour podcast series and good luck on your journey to more inclusive education for all your students. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much to the team at SIUE for sharing a little bit about their story. As you can hear, common themes that really resonate across these podcasts, the interest in supporting not just their students with disabilities, but all of their students, taking that universal design for learning approach, providing opportunities for students of all kinds, all abilities, all needs to leverage alternative formats, to have access to accessible content that's more usable, that's going to help them be more successful in higher education. And so with this, we're signing off for 2019. It's been a great, great journey, and we're excited as we move into 2020 to bring a new focus to data and research to really take advantage of the rich stories that we learned about, that we heard about on our journey, and use that as kind of qualitative data to contextualize and bring meaning to some of the quantitative data and investigations that we're going to embark on in our data work during 2020. Look forward to reconnecting with folks and continuing on our journey on the road to Inclusivity. Join the tour along with the rest of the Ally community at tour.ally.ac. You can catch the latest updates on Instagram and Twitter at hashtag AllyTour2019. And listen to stories of inclusion from our community champions on the Ally Tour 2019 podcast series, available on SoundCloud or in your favorite podcast app. We'll look forward to seeing you at the next stop on the road to Inclusivity.